0: This is John Halsman, and welcome to the latest Ukraine uh, crisis podcast for Around the World in 20 Minutes. Happy Monday um, as we look at the world and what's been happening over the weekend. Well, let's start with what the Russians have done wrong. There are three big things now it's clear the Russians have done wrong as the invasion has not gone according to plan. And this matters fundamentally because, as we've said about Clausewitz, military means are only a tool to further political ends. The great Prussian theorist made this clear, and this has been true since time began, since the Athenians and the Spartans, that the military tool is only there to further politics. And on that big picture front, the Russians have already lost. They didn't get the blitzkrieg they thought would happen, which was a very quick, reasonably painless victory where the Ukrainians fell apart the Russians put in a puppet and suddenly they had strategic depth and Putin has fulfilled the goals of his hero, Peter the Great, made Russia a great power again and has a series of satellite countries in front of it, Belarus in the Caucasus and then Ukraine, to give him strategic depth and to protect Mother Russia moving ahead into the new era. And this has already failed and it's failed for three big reasons. One, as we've said, the Russian plan was too fiddly, way too complicated, Baroque, Byzantine, pick your word, and the Russians were defeated by themselves, which often happens with planning. Again, to quote Napoleon, we often defeat ourselves. The best plans, as he said, were elegant and simple and can be explained from everyone from a common private up to a marshal. And this certainly hasn't been the case. There were, the Russians have attacked on three fronts, something they haven't done since the invasion of Berlin in 1945. And sure enough, it hasn't worked very well. And the three fronts have devolved into three separate wars. There's fighting going on in the south, fighting going on north of Kiev, and fighting going on to the east. And rather than being coordinated, these have all devolved into very set, different wars. In the north, around Kiev, the Russians have stalled outside the capital. Uh, way too slowly. They thought they'd take Kiev in two days, and a month in, they still haven't done so. They thought they'd take, by the way, all of Ukraine in two weeks. We'll get back to that in a minute. Um, talk about overestimating one's ability. Um, so Kiev it stalled in the east there's been some progress kharkiv still hasn't been taken but the donbass provinces have pretty much gone russia's way so slow but steady progress and then in the south the russians have done well i mean this is forgotten because the ukrainians have been heroic and in Zelensky have a churchillian like figure who is winning the pr battle but the reality is the russians have linked up a land corridor between donetsk and luhansk the two russian-speaking provinces in eastern ukraine under Russian control in Crimea, which is in Russia's eyes, part of Russia, the land corridor between the two has been linked and the Sea of Azov has been effectively cut off and is now a Russian lake. So pretty good progress in the South, which one doesn't hear about. So three different tempos to three different wars, Um, total stalling in front of Kiev, Slow progress to the east and pretty good progress to the south, but some sort of blitzkrieg coordinated lightning push has utterly failed, and largely because the Russians uh, made it far too complicated, and their logistics, always the bugbear of the Russian army, haven't been up to it. Tanks have stalled, things have broken down, they're not getting food to the troops in the field or having to loot people, morale is terrible. Uh, because it hasn't been the war they were provost, and this leads me to the second problem Beyond the really very poor planning of the Russian military Secondly is a to a political mistake that Putin really did believe Ukraine wasn't a real country that in essence if you look at their voting patterns again not unreasonably It divided into two and when you travel there you see this in the architecture The eastern part of Ukraine again dr. Zhivago Russian-speaking looks toward Russia traditionally and culturally. The Western part, think Belle Époque film, look for Francis Joseph, James Mason, and Meyerling, or something like that. Uh, you go to Lviv, it was part of the Habsburg Empire, and looks at charming Western about 1890, and looks. So on one side, Francis Joseph and Meyerling, on the other, Dr. Zhivago, and Putin didn't believe that this would ever adhere as a country. Whether this was true before the invasion, it's certainly not true now. And this is a massive miscalculation. Zelensky's numbers have gone up from about 25 percent approval. He was an ineffectual president of a country very hard to run with massive corruption problems, massive rule of law problems, massive economic and political problems. And he wasn't grasping the nettle to a great wartime leader whose approval rating is incredibly above 90%. Both eastern and western Ukraine have united in the face of an invader, and Putin has unwittingly forged the very Ukrainian nationhood he didn't think existed. And this has been a catastrophic mistake. And the brave, staunch, and very effective fighting of the outmanned Ukrainian army, which is punched way above its weight, is only due to morale, meaning that they believe in a common nation, that Zelensky, as a founding father, is actually forging. And this is the second great mistake of the Russians. And then the third mistake, again, understandable from Putin's point of view, was to assume the West wouldn't do much of anything, as was true after 2014 when the eastern provinces were gobbled up, as was true after 2008 and the invasion of Georgia. The West tut-tutted, made life a little difficult for the oligarchs, But not much of anything happened, and that has not been the case, to put it mildly, this time. Instead, we see Russia with $600 billion in reserves, a heck of a war chest. Again, Russia is led macroeconomically at Central Bank by some of the finest central bankers in the world, and they've managed to save a war chest of $600 billion. Not bad at all, except half these reserves were abroad. Putin didn't bring them home for the simple reason he didn't think the West would do anything, because it hadn't before, but this time was different. The West did, and in fact 300 billion of that 600 billion are not available for use by Putin. Half his reserves are frozen abroad. An extraordinary fact, which Putin simply wasn't counting on at all. Nobody thought that Russia would be ejected from the SWIFT banking system, which allows for the easy transfer of money from country to country in the world. In dollars, other than that, you have to use rubles and the other currency, and this becomes very fiddly, very difficult, and is not the way most things are moved. They're moved in dollars. The dollar, the weaponization of the dollar is what Putin hadn't been counting on, and that has happened. And then real sanctions on not Putin, but the cronies around him, the oligarchs, the Soloviki, the hard men around him, so they can't go and have holidays in London anymore. This also wasn't counted for. And as they really begin to crack down on the Russian economy, the United States abrogating energy deals along with the UK, another Anglosphere country, suddenly... Putin looks cornered economically and the clock is ticking on taking over the totality of Ukraine. If all that's true and is surprisingly good news for those of us who favor democracy over autocracy passionately as I do, here's the bad news and here's why the title of this podcast is Avoiding the Worst. There are only two basic outcomes ahead for the ukrainian war and look and look at the battlefield objectively as the realists that we are for a minute there are two basic outcomes moving ahead one The Russians win and win ugly. They're not going to win by a blitzkrieg. So they strangle cities like Maripol in the south, Kharkiv, Kiev. They strangle them and they starve the people out a la the Middle Ages with artillery and encircling them and they starve them out. And they devastate the cities as Putin did to Grozny to win the second Chechen war. And this would be horrendous, would take time. He might indeed not be able to get to the totality of Ukraine. It's a country bigger than France. Uh, the second biggest landmass of the European country, an extraordinarily large place. And so to win this way takes time, is barbaric, is ugly, will devastate the country. But if he wins, and we are forced to guerrilla war, which I think would happen for sure in the west of the country, led by Zelensky's compatriots, funded by the EU and weaponized by the United States with a porous Polish border. It's handmade. Again, I wrote a book about Lawrence of Arabia. He'd be drooling over the possibility to lead a guerrilla war as Lawrence said in the 27 articles what you need are two percent of the population to actively fight and 98 percent to be sympathetic and you're going to win and certainly in western ukraine uh, i would argue all of ukraine now but certainly in western ukraine That is on the card. So you would have a Russian-dominated Ukraine, but they couldn't leave. They couldn't leave puppets. They would have to occupy the place and a resistance that would go on and on and on. So an ugly Russian victory is one outcome, and that would be terrible for the people of Ukraine. Um, The second outcome... Um, is even worse, in a sense, because it would mean not a Russian victory. It would mean Russia stalling out, unable to take these cities, unable in the time period to win ugly. Basically, with $300 million, billion in reserves, the Russians have a year and a half or two years to do as they want, and then they run out of money. And if that would be a quicker number if the Europeans actually bit the bullet on energy sanctions, but that would be very hard for them to do, even scrambling. That would be hard them to do. So Russia doesn't take these places. It does say things stay as they are. It's it's stalled outside of Kiev. The Donbass provinces effectively become Russian, which they already were Russian speaking, and they're dominated by Russia. And he has a free reign from, say, Odessa and controls the Black Sea in the south, but he can't take the whole of the country. As time went on and as the body bags came home and as Russia got poorer and poorer and poorer and became a pariah nation, Putin will be tempted to do what he's already doing, which is to escalate the conflict. He's not winning the old-fashioned way. And so when you draw the sword, to quote Bismarck, you roll the dice. So he escalates the conflict. And this must be avoided already. He's using hypersonic missiles, which are a warning. He's shelling near the Polish border, warning the West not to give supplies, that they'd be fair game if they're giving supplies into Ukraine itself, which could lead to an escalation. But he's talking and threatening and we're very worried about his use of chemical weapons or tactical nuclear weapons. And if Putin's premiership, meaning his head, was on the line, don't think this guy wouldn't consider using chemical for sure and possibly tactical nuclear weapons. This must be avoided at all costs. We can't have Russia win and we can't have Russia lose. That's the dilemma realists find themselves in right now. So how do we get out of this dilemma? How do we avoid the worst, given the errors the Russians have made and where we are this morning? A very good friend of mine, a dear friend and a great colleague, a man I wrote The Godfather Doctrine with, A. Wes Mitchell, has come up with a solution, and it's called Fortified Neutrality for Ukraine. And I want to I spend some time because I wholeheartedly, in policy terms, advocate this as a realist because it's a way out of this conundrum, which is where we are at the moment. Wes was assistant secretary for Europe um, under the Trump administration, uh, is one of the true rising stars in Washington, and if we're lucky, someday we'll be secretary of state. And Wes has come up with a very brave idea, and a clever one, to present to both Zelensky and Putin and to see what happens. And it, it goes along the lines. He wrote a foreign affairs article on this, the case for Ukrainian neutrality. I commend you to read it. I think it's a fascinating way out and is a creative policy, two words you don't put together very often, a creative policy alternative, and I wholeheartedly advocate it. The plan would go like this. Ukraine would commit not to join NATO and not to have foreign bases on its territory. Well, it's not about to join NATO, as we've said before, and it's not about to have foreign bases on its territory. So it's giving up nothing. As we've said many times, there's no prospect for even in the medium-run Ukraine to join NATO. It hasn't even been presented with a membership action plan, a map which takes a decade to accomplish, dealing with rule of law, judiciary issues, democratic issues, corruption issues. There's no way Ukraine will meet it, and they haven't even been offered a plan yet. You need unanimity to join NATO, and at present, on record, France, Germany, and Italy, major countries, are against and frankly pushed to the wall The Biden administration has gotten over its flirtation with neoconservative liberal hawk lunacy and would also be against Ukraine joining. So giving up joining NATO and giving up having foreign bases on its territory is practically giving up nothing. But in return for agreeing to do this, Ukraine would get some tangible benefits. One, we could guarantee the the continued existence of Ukraine if it accepts neutrality. Uh, This would be the trade that along with the U.S. and other Western countries, they would commit to defending it if it were invaded again. So its neighbors, the U.K. and the U.S. and other Western countries would commit to defending Ukraine if it were invaded. Um, And it would get to make it, again, a fortified neutrality. Let's focus on the word fortified. It would get weapons supplied by the West. In other words, we would leave Ukraine like Finland after World War II or Austria not part of NATO, but fortified and guaranteed its, its territory by Western powers and having a real military of its own with advanced weaponry being given by the West. Um, this, I think, would solve a heck of a lot of the problems. Ukraine would get to keep most of its territory in a negotiated settlement. Putin would get Crimea and the two Donbas provinces, which it already has and has had. And so Ukraine would, again, be giving up nothing and in return would be getting a guarantee, a security guarantee by the West. The Ukrainians would be offered economic assistance in a huge way by the West with the EU playing a lead role, which given its awakening strategically, I think it's prepared to do. And also would still critically be offered a viable path to EU membership. Finland, again, Austria, again, is is the analogy. The EU would be a possibility. Joining the European Community of States would be a possibility if you abrogate provinces it doesn't have and joining NATO, which it's not about to do. This fortified neutrality would work well. It would allow Ukraine to have its own self-defense. It would retain most of its territory and it would allow for it to be economically restructured. That would be what Zelensky would get. What Putin would get would be face-saving. He could say to his people, we fought this war and we have now control of Crimea and the Donbass. And, and we, have, we have managed to do that in the face of worldwide attack against us. So Putin would get just enough that he could go home and sell this. Obviously, both sides would have to agree, as always is true in realist negotiations, to losses And both sides seem maximalist at the moment, meaning they're not agreed. But let's let the battlefield play out over the next couple weeks. And if we are still where we are now, which is the Russians making good headway in the south, some headway in the east, and no headway in the north, this deal is going to look better and better and better because it's not maximalist. But it would leave Ukraine a viable, Western-oriented, fortified state with a Western security guarantee. And on the other hand, it would leave Russia with just enough through codification of gains. It's already made, plus Ukraine's insistence that it wouldn't join NATO for Putin to play this as a victory at home. The goal is to give everyone just enough that the war can come to an end, because otherwise we are in for the worst, either a bleed out and a long guerrilla war with Russia winning ugly, taking these, these states, flattening every city in Ukraine over the next two years, upping the ante with that being a miserable prospect for Ukraine, being utterly devastated and Russia winning and winning ugly, or worse, the Russia loses and in losing ups the ante with Putin's head on the line to involving chemical nuclear weapons or escalating the conflict, which we can't have. There is a basic rule since the Kennedy brothers bested Khrushchev over the Cuban Missile Crisis. And the rule has avoided nuclear Armageddon for all the time since. The simple realist rule is that superpowers do not directly fight other superpowers. Proxy wars are fine. The Russians helping North Vietnam greatly is fine. The Americans helping the Mujahideen in Afghanistan is fine. Supporting various governments is fine, but they do not go eyeball to eyeball. And that was the great lesson coming out of the Cuban Missile Crisis, which was one of the Kennedy brothers, I think, saved the world. I think we underestimate how dangerous and how close we came to Armageddon. The Kennedys said at the worst it was between one and three and one and two a nuclear war. I think the odds are actually higher than that. Jack Kennedy is, if anything, underrated for what he he actually accomplished. But the reality is we have to avoid any eyeball to eyeball confrontation. And if the war goes on and becomes more barbaric, the pressures will grow on the West. Or if Putin's losing and tries to escalate it, the pressures to be involved will, will grow from the West. This must be avoided. Wes's fortified neutrality plan would do this and would give everyone enough that they could back down and peace could be restored, and Ukraine would still be a viable country that could grow, prosper, and best Putin by simply being better in the long run. Because in the end, democracy, and living in a democracy, trumps living in an autocracy. As a demonstration effect, democracy is at its best. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed today's Around the World in 20 Minutes. Avoiding the Worst our part four of Making Sense of the Russian Invasion of Ukraine. If you did enjoy this, please do subscribe. Again, we've doubled our membership in the last few weeks, so we're overwhelmed and delighted that many of you are tuning into us for creative, up-to-date news as to policy, what's lying behind everything, and where we can go from here. And for those of you who have subscribed, please do give. We're asking only $70 a year, $7 a month. $70 a year, or $7 a month, which is nothing... Compared to what we give you, which is Around the World in 20 Minutes podcasts, Around the World in 20 Minutes vlogs, John's newsletter, our book serializations, JL Writer's The Society column, Publius's The Politics column, and me writing as well. When you add all this together, we are a little local newspaper to the world, and I think we're well worth the $70 a year we're asking. Please do give, and we will keep them coming. Thanks very much, and have a great week.